Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Now, I'm going to be speaking in just a moment to Rachel. Rachel is a 27-year-old woman who's been told by her gynaecologist that a hysterectomy won't really be considered for her as an option for her debilitating period pain. And the reason, she says, is because on the off chance that she may divorce her wife, Rachel is a lesbian, she may divorce her wife, her sexual orientation could change, she could meet a man... And she could decide down the line that actually she really does want children at all. Rachel's been suffering with debilitating period pain since uh, she was very, very young and has already tried many different ways to try and help it. She feels that a hysterectomy is really the only option for her at the moment. And I'm delighted to welcome to the Nile Boylan Show, Rachel Champ. Rachel, talk to us a little bit about when you first started having problems with your menstrual cycle and how bad they were. It started from the very beginning, the very, very start. Um, I got my period very young, um, when I was 10. And I remember the very first time I got it, it was late at night and I just curled into a ball, like in the fetal position on my bed, crying in tears. And I remember going in because it was so late. I woke up my mom in tears, like saying how much pain I was in and that was kind of how it started and the way it's kept going now, even 17 years later. Um, it's That's just been how it has been every single month. And when you say painful and debilitating, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. What kind of things have you had to stop doing or been prevented from doing? Or, you know, what type of planning do you have to do around events and, yeah. and important those important milestones that we all have mm-hmm. in our lives? Absolutely. I basically plan everything around when I know I'm going to get my period because I can't do anything. I will be, the pain has gotten worse as I've gotten older, which is why I'm now looking at like, you know, more extreme options because it's now to a point where for two or three days a month, I am in bed, not able to move. I can't, like I can't function and everything like throughout the years I've missed school I've missed college I've had to miss college exams and repeat them later I've we, I got married in June and we had to basically plan our wedding around when obviously no one wants to have their period when they're getting married but I physically wouldn't have been able to get married if I had my period like it's just every single thing kind of has to be worked around it and as I've gotten older then I'm getting more issues with it's not just when I have my period I get really bad pains and I'm ovulating as well so it's kind of like every two weeks I know I'm going to be in pain and I also now suffer with a lot of cysts and they they can rupture pretty much at any time so there's also that kind of added like I always have to be prepared like have painkillers and stuff with me everywhere I go on the off chance that it's you know something's going to happen. And Rachel, have you been advised at any point over the years as to what might be causing this? I mean, we hear about the condition called primary and secondary dysmenorrhea. That's the blanket yeah. term for, for for painful periods. But, you know, mm-hmm. are we talking, are, are, are there fibroids involved? I mean, is there is there any anything that, they've, that, that the medics have been able to pinpoint and go, that's why it's happening? The closest I've got so far is that 
I have polycystic ovaries, but not PCOS. So I don't have a polycystic ovarian syndrome, but I do suffer with multiple cysts on my ovaries. And But I've had, like, my bloods have been checked regularly for my hormone levels. My hormone levels are fine. So that's how they know it's not PCOS. And the other thing that they've been considering and trying to this is kind of where we're trying to figure out what it is, is whether I have endometriosis or adenomyosis. Mm-hmm. Um, but the two of them are really, really difficult to diagnose. And in most women, it can take upwards of 10 years to get a diagnosis. And if someone they first start, um, you know, seeing a gynecologist because it's, it's just that difficult um, and it can be missed so easily. Um because you can't just do it with like an ultrasound and a blood test and like that that shows it. So it's that's part of the problem as well is that they don't really know what is, they can't give me an answer as to what's causing the problem. So it's kind of hard to figure out where to go to treat it if they don't actually know what is causing it. And in terms of treatment options, when did you first seek treatment for this and what type of treatments have you tried over the years? Um, I probably would have been about 11 I would say 11 or 12 when I was first taken to my GP about it my mom took me because she knew that like the pain that I was in every month and I was missing school and it, it just wasn't like me to miss school but I, I couldn't um and it started basically when I was 12 I started on my first um, contraceptive pill at the age of 12 which, which is would insane be highly unusual really when you yeah. think about it and it was purely, and I even remember my GP saying to me, he was like, you know, don't tell anyone that you're on this and you don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. Mm. But it was purely to help try and manage manage pain. And throughout the years then, I tried different options with different pills and um, we did a and lot did of did they work? Or did they work for, for uh, you know, a, a certain amount of time and then become less effective? Or were you just gotten, getting no relief at all? I it wasn't helping with pain. It never nothing we ever tried in terms of the pills and stuff ever helped with the pain. It helped how much I was bleeding, and I de- I noticed the difference because I generally would bleed quite a lot. But then when I was on the pill, that cut down, but mm-hmm. it didn't change the pain. Okay. Um, we tried all the different, you know, like Panadol, Nurofen, Dispirin, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. Um, tried different pills, and it was only when I got my first smear test. Um, I actually went to the Well Woman Centre in Dublin and had my first smear test when I was 25 and I spoke to the doctor there that was doing it and she was like no this isn't normal like you shouldn't mm-hmm. be in this much pain every month but be- for so long like for 10-15 years up to that point I had been told it was normal I was just unlucky that I was one of those people that had bad period pains so I just I didn't question it really. And did, and did you not like, question it even when you looked at your friends, you know, and, I, and saw that they were actually fine? They didn't miss college yeah. exams. You know, their leaving cert maybe wasn't under threat mm-hmm. for fear that they that the, you know that they were going to get their period and, and literally yeah. be incapacitated. Yeah, and I did. Like, I had a couple of like GP appointments where I'd be like, you know, no one else seems to be having it as bad as I do. Like, what is what's going on here? And just was being told, you know, you're just one of the unfortunate ones. Some people get it really bad and that just seems to be you. So I, I didn't question it until I kind of, until I met that doctor and finally had a doctor that went, 
no, this isn't normal. You shouldn't yeah. be going through this. And every did your GP not at any point in time refer you to a gynecologist through your teenage years? No, they just no. Yeah, okay. The well, first time I saw a gynecologist was when I was twenty-five. Yeah, just after my smear test. Right. The okay. doctor who did my smear test was the one who referred me. Do you know what? It's sometimes it, when we have these conversations about healthcare and women's healthcare in particular, I have to have mm-hmm. a bit of a rant here, Rachel. You know, we hear <laughs> things like, for example, that ovarian cancer and cervical cancer are the silent killers of women, yeah. and yet women who do go and report having issues and problems and concerns generally get poo-pooed with something like Nurofen and the pill. Mm-hmm. So, aside from the painkillers and the pill, what other treatment options were were you presented with? None. Um. So I had. I've tried the marina coil. I was basically, that was described to me as basically it was going to be my saviour. It was going to cure everything. I wouldn't have any issues with it. And I had that. I had a surgery and they put the coil in when I had the surgery mm-hmm. and it made everything 10 times worse. Right, okay. It made everything so, so much worse. Yeah, I can happen. For some in, women, it's a fabulous option and for some women, yeah, it just doesn't work. It, it doesn't suit yeah. them. Yeah. So cut to, where it, we, cut to where we are now. Sorry, sorry, Rachel. To mm-hmm. Cut to where we are now. You are of the opinion firmly, having tried pretty much everything else that's been offered to you to absolutely no avail, that a hysterectomy is where you need to go here. Yeah, like I, I sat down in front and I said, like, we have tried all of the non-invasive options, like the less invasive options. And like, if you Google hysterectomy, like, and look up the NHS and like they list, like, the things to try before hysterectomy. Yeah. And I have tried every single one of them. Mm-hmm. I had a procedure done, a surgery where they did ovarian drilling, which is exactly as horrible as oh it sounds. Oh my God, it sounds awful. Yeah. And it's, it was basically to try and um, stop the number of cysts that I have. But I, I feel like I've tried every single option. Mm-hmm. And the last time when... I had this conversation and this whole thing about the hysterectomy came up and I asked would it be an option and so I was told no try acupuncture that was the the opinion that I was given to try acupuncture and I'd be referred to see a pain management specialist and I said I I don't want to see a pain manager like I I've tried everything to manage the pain and it's not working so can we try and solve what's causing the pain rather than trying to manage it. Okay, now you're 27 years old. You're recently married. Uh, your your wife, I presume, is living through this with you every month yeah. uh, and is obviously, I'm sure, supportive of, of your decision. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the discussion of children, have you had that conversation? Where are you with that, yourself and your wife? We had that conversation very, very early on. Um, neither, And we've both, neither of us want to carry neither of us want to actually have a child Mm -hmm. like we've and I think in my own like case I don't even know if I could I don't know if I want to put myself through that like based on the history that I've had yeah but we had both agreed and like talked about it that you know in a couple of years time and we're more settled we'll look into adoption because Mm -hmm. obviously that's such a, a a big thing as well and neither of us really want to have children naturally and we want to we'd much rather adopt like an older child that maybe wouldn't get the chance with another family and and we're more than happy with that so again that is something else that feeds into your decision I presume to seek a hysterectomy 
And so when you went and you had these conversations as a 27-year-old woman who's discussed this with your spouse, who's had over 17 years of this debilitating uh, condition, uh, the response you were given was? That it wouldn't be an option because he didn't want me to have any regrets in case my... Um, in case my partner changed, my sexual orientation changed, and I met someone else and he wanted to have children. Those were the words that were used. Okay. <laughs> in front of me and my wife, we were both in the room. She was standing right beside me. And that was, at first it was all about my age. He said he wouldn't consider it as an option for my age. And my wife actually said, well, at what age would you consider it? Like, Mm -hmm. what age does she have to get to for you to consider it? Mm -hmm. And that's when he changed and said, well, you know, there's other factors we have to consider. Like, we don't want you to have any regrets. And I said, regrets about what? Like, I can't, you know. And he told me then that my um, judgment at the moment is clouded because of the pain that I'm in. And I can't really make clear decisions right now because of the pain. And he would hate for me to make such an irreversible decision. And at that point, my wife, again, pointed out that having children is also an irreversible decision. But if I was sat in front of him now saying, I'm 27 and I want to have a child, you wouldn't tell her, You're, she's in pain, you can't make that decision now. So, And the gynecologist's response to that? Um, it was ignored. He was very dismissive and was like, well, you know, try your acupuncture and see the pain management specialist and come back to me in six months but there was never a like maybe we'll try this in six months time okay. you know we'll we'll talk about it in six months and I didn't go in there specifically requesting I was like I want a hysterectomy I simply was just asking right if I try these things and they don't work for me like what is next like we have tried everything so surely the next action we can take is a hysterectomy and I was just given no medical reason why. Like, there was nothing. And fully, would obviously respect any doctor's, like, medical reasoning on why it wouldn't be a good decision for me. But the fact that it was no actual medical reason, and it was obviously his own biases and opinions on, I guess, women in general, and obviously just not having an understanding of even sexuality and how that works like it just didn't didn't seem to enter his his mind at all and this is somebody who's working in in a women's health specialty yeah. the mind kind of boggles a little at that yeah. Rachel so where next for you are you going to seek a second opinion have you done so already have you investigated maybe private options or or options outside of Ireland yeah so um at the moment I did put in a complaint with the hospital and asked to, because I had originally had a meeting with this gynecologist before and I requested not to see him again. I asked the hospital twice Mm -hmm. not to see him for this appointment and they told me no problem, I wouldn't see him at all. But Mm -hmm. of course, when I went on the day, I ended up seeing him. Um, So I've I've put in a complaint and I have asked them, can they refer me to a new gynecologist? I want to be like given a brand new gynecologist, not nothing to do with him. Um, but I've been told it'll be about six weeks before 
They will be able to comment on my complaints and get back to me. So it's probably going to be after Christmas before I hear back from them. Um, But in the meantime, I have already been looking into going abroad to London to a private specialist in London that I have seen. Um, I'm part of a group on Facebook for endometriosis in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of women on that talking about this one particular specialist because they haven't in similar situations to me, haven't been able to get the healthcare okay. here. So they've had no choice but to go abroad. And I've already been in contact with the office and um, talked about getting a, a possible appointment. And he could offer me an appointment in four weeks' time. So I could get an appointment in the UK quicker than I could possibly get a response from the hospital here and seeing you gynecologist. And while I'm sure you want a resolution to this and if you've, you know, made up your mind that, that a hysterectomy is the way for, for you to go... Uh, you know, you don't want to be doing that overseas if you don't actually have to. You know, exactly. you want, if you're going, I mean, it's a surgical procedure and I appreciate that it's maybe not as, as complicated now as it was 20 or 30 years ago. But it's still, you know, you're, you're going to, in, it's going to involve a hospital stay. It's going to involve mm-hmm. recuperation. You know, it's going to involve being taken care of uh, and convalescing afterwards. I'm sure you'd much rather do that at home. Absolutely. Like, it, no matter what surgery it is that's being done, it's obviously always, like, nerve-wracking to get surgery and it's uh, it can be a big thing. But to have to go abroad, potentially on my own, even, like, when in COVID at the moment, you just don't know the way things can go. To have to go abroad on my own and then be over there for at least maybe two or three weeks afterwards without anyone else around me, it's it's really scary. But... Um, I kind of feel like I don't really have another option here at the moment. Rachel, keep in touch with us. We wish you the best and uh, keep in touch with us. Let us know how you get on with that appointment either in the UK in four weeks or, or here in six weeks if you do get a new gynecologist. Have you experienced anything like Rachel? Have you been butting heads with the medical profession? Are you a woman who feels that your your issues and your pain and, and debilitating conditions aren't being taken seriously enough. Oh eight seven one double eight triple zero eight. Janie is on the line. Janie, some of what Rachel had to say there strikes a bit of a chord with you, I believe. Yeah, little bits of it are the same. Um, a lot of it is much different. Um, but I, I didn't have the the pain elements that she was uh, speaking about. Now I did have pain, cramping pain, and I had heavy periods when I was younger, like herself. But um. I, up until recently, and like pain has never stopped me kind of, I suppose, living my life sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I did have, I like I'm on the hunt for a hysterectomy as well. Um, I didn't really have problems through my 20s, but the last three years, two and a half, three years, I've had uh, unreal heavy bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it's a little bit different to Rachel's in the sense that it wasn't just when my period was due, it was pretty much non-stop. Okay, and have so, you have you had other treatment options? Do you feel you've been taken seriously when you've gone to your GP and maybe to gynaecologists seeking help? Uh, so I went to my GP and the first thing was, uh, well, sorry, I went, I had a coil put in and uh, basically with all the bleeding, the coil came out in a clot. Okay, so that's not, I mean, that's not a good outcome. It was quite painful. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I went and he gave me pills to kind of stop the bleeding. I think I believe it's the same pills that they give um, 
women after say they might miscarry or something like that. Um, but I suppose he didn't. It's not that he didn't take me seriously. It's he thought it. Um, I had fibroids, but because I had no pain, he was like, "That's really like the number one thing that goes with them." Mm-hmm. So I suppose we did six or seven or eight months of kind of dancing around. When it got unbearable, I would go and get more of these pills from him, and then sometimes even the chemist didn't have enough pills to give me um, to kind of make the bleeding reduce enough that I could leave the house and do my work and oh my mind gosh, my children. Like, when you can't even leave the house, this is a really critical problem. So what? So so you yeah. get to have the conversation finally about a hysterectomy and what was the response that you got? Rachel's was literally essentially go away. You might change your mind. You might change your sexual orientation. You might at some point in time end up with a man and he might want children. So you can't have a hysterectomy for that reason. Uh, so what yeah, were you told? Crazy. What were you told? Uh, well, I was, so I ended up going private. To a, I ended up going privately to a gynae, um, which was fairly expensive, but so far it's so worth it. So she was on board with it. I mean, I think if she, she didn't have my history when I went there. And I'd say she thought a lot of the women that go there, I'd say are looking to have babies or help, like for her health to get pregnant. Uh, which was not my case. I wanted a hysterectomy and she was just like, thank God. <laughs> she was just like, because she'd done a scan and I had loads of fibroids. She was like, I don't think you could even carry a child. Right, okay. It, so it's, it's a good idea. Okay. So she was on board and she has referred me to like loads of different places now. So I'm back in the public um, system, but everything is so much faster. I don't know that they just don't like the letters my doctor had sent. But like I've been to see two gynecologists since I've had a collapse. I've been in the colostomy clinic. I've had a left procedure, which has helped with the bleeding. I've had a DNC, which has helped with the bleeding, biopsies. So I'm kind of hoping I'm going back to the consultant now in January. Um, and I'm kind of hoping to convince her to give me a hysterectomy. But once I went back into the public system, every time I mentioned hysterectomy, it was like... I don't know, you're very young, you're very young. But I mean, a gynecologist has essentially said to you, you probably couldn't carry a baby anyway. The private one did, yeah, but the public ones won't, they they won't, they don't, they just don't want to give a hysterectomy. They just keep saying you're too young. And I'm very different to Rachel in the sense of, I have four children, so I, I, my my family is done, like I don't want any more. Okay, um, it seems bizarre, so, and it also seems bizarre that in some cases, and in many cases, in actual fact, women while pregnant, if they're due to have a cesarean section, can say to their consultant, "By the way, while you're in there, can you tie my tubes because I don't want to have any more children?" And that's kind of done fairly routinely. Whereas somebody, you know, in Janie's situation or in Rachel's situation is literally having their life completely altered by this and they're just not being listened to. We have been inundated with women. It's not just Janie and Rachel wanting to share their experiences. 087-188-0008 is the WhatsApp number to get in touch with the show today. We've been inundated with very many um 
messages from from women, um, you know, about this issue that we're discussing, debilitating periods and also not being taken seriously or feeling that that proper treatment options aren't being presented to you. Uh, One here I'm going to read you. Tara, please keep this anonymous. I went to my GP recently due to low libido, which I believe is a result of my new contraceptive implant. When I mentioned it to the doctor, she completely dismissed me. I left and cried in the car. I know it's very different to the girls' stories that you've been hearing about today, but it's still terrible treatment from a GP. Women's health is not understood enough. And I have to say, we've also had a number of messages from people, I'm going to call it mostly men, who are complaining about the fact that we're having a conversation like this, specifically at lunchtime as well, during the middle of the day. Look, lads, here's the situation. Women are 50%, in fact, generally 51% of the population. And half of all, every woman menstruates, and half of all of the women who do have issues like this. And it's actually really quite appalling to think that with all of the science that we have and with all of the medical interventions that we have in this day and age, we are still at the point where the only treatment options that are generally presented to women who, as we've heard from Rachel, had to plan her wedding, has to plan her entire life, has missed college exams because of this. We heard from Janie. She can't leave the house because of this. And this is a increasingly simple procedure which is not as complicated as it was. I guarantee you if men were debilitated to this degree uh, by anything to do with their their reproductive systems, medical science would have been on it and all over it. And also, bear in mind, lads, if you choose to and if you decide that you want to have a vasectomy, all you need do is pick up the phone and make a phone call and make an appointment And you have it. It's done for you. These women can't leave their own homes and they're being denied for whatever reason. Ignorance, I think, in many parts, being poo-pooed, made to feel like little girls with problems. You know, Janie's a mother of four children. So there's no reason and excuse that she shouldn't be given a hysterectomy unless there's a very uh, distinct medical contra-intervention as to why she shouldn't. And nobody's told her that that's the case. You know, it's ridiculous. And so we're not going to make any apology on this programme for having this conversation today. You know, if it offends you to be having this type of listening to this, tough. You know, maybe you should need to educate yourself a little bit more. Maybe you need to be a little bit more empathetic to the, you know, the wives, the girlfriends, the daughters, the colleagues who have to go through this stuff month after month after month. Maybe you should think about that rather than, you know, oh my God, you're putting me off my sandwich. I want to talk to Christine next. Christine, you've also been denied a hysterectomy. Tell us about your uh, background and, and why you wanted one. Well, I would have had, um, I would have had bad periods kind of all my life, but since I had my last child, my fourth child, um, they've just been worse to the fact that, like Janie there, not that I can't leave the house, I can, but I have to wear maternity sanitary towels, two of them, to go anywhere. I'm sitting on a towel in my car in case I leak. My oldest daughter is 14 and she's like walking behind me saying, oh ma'am, you need to go to the toilet. And the pain is, the pain definitely is three weeks of the month. It's not... It's not just for the, like, some men. I think it's only for three or four days. It's, I have pain coming up to my period. I have pain ovulated. I have pain during my period. And pain when it's going away. And I went to my GP and was put on waiting list and put on waiting list. And I've gone cross-border to Belfast. And I've had to pay for two surgeries that still haven't, they've, they've helped, but they haven't fixed the problem. And the last one was in May. And I'm still waiting on the HSE to approve 
for me to get some funding back from that. You know, they'll do like cross-border. I'm still waiting for that. I have seen a gynecologist here. I've gone to see her in Navin Hospital and she is the first person who has told me flat out that I won't be getting a hysterectomy from her. No um, way. And why? What is, what is the reason that she's given you? Because I'm too young. I'm 38, very soon to be 39, with four children. And she said, you're very young for hysterectomy. What if you wanted more kids? What if your relationship failed and you moved on with somebody else and you wanted to have children with them? Um, like, I, what, her reasons to me weren't very valid. You know, I've got four children. I'm nearly 40. I don't want any more children. Mm. Um, I don't want this pain. I don't want this bleeding. I would prefer to be without all of that and be healthy and be with my children 100% than have this and looming have over me every on month. It, and not have to sit on a towel if you do go out. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I, I, I just think they don't want to do hysterectomies. They don't. Any why doctor do I've seen, any doctor I've seen in the is? South of Ireland doesn't want to. Why? But why? She told me I, you could have a prolapsed bowel afterwards. That was That's the only medical explanation. It's a massive operation. You won't be able to lift your children. You can't lift anything heavier, I think she said, than a cup of tea for the first six weeks. You know, it was made to sound so scary and so terrible, but yet it will help you. Like, this will, I will 100% never have to go back to the doctor for this issue if they do that operation. Yeah. Like, I think at my age and with the four children, I think she should be saying, OK, look, we're looking at you. You've tried, I've tried everything, like Janie there, or like Rachel, I've done all the things on the list. Mm-hmm. And I've paid for them, and I've gone privately, and I shouldn't have had to do that. I should have went to my GP, I should have been sent to see a gynaecologist, and I should have been told, OK, you've, we can do this, this, and this, and if it doesn't work, then yes, you can have a hysterectomy. But you- the last time I went was in September, and they'd done an operation in September, and she gave me, I think it, it's Cerazette, I think it's like a mini pill. And she's given me that and told me, if this works, then, you know, we'll come back in six months and see how you are in six months. But, you know, really, a hysterectomy is way off. It's way down the line. It's 45, 46 years of age. Which, at which point you're heading into menopause anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Generally speaking, well, you're well, heading into menopause anyway. Like, that's, yeah. it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a ridiculous it's explanation. absolutely ridiculous. And I know, I know friends of mine who are the same, who have been to doctors and been told you're too young. Friends of mine who are older than me are being told, no, we leave it off. We're not going to do that yet. That'll be last. You know, that's the last thing. But like, there's nothing else. I have nothing else that I can do, only that. So when I go back to her in six months' time, is she going to say, oh, no, we'll try something else? Because there's nothing else to try. Now, I will say the last operation she's done and the tablets she has given me have definitely helped. But like, they've given me other side effects now, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, you're kind of caught and they don't, they just don't want to do it. I don't know, is it because we're not set up for it in this country? I don't know. I don't know. I did hear, you know, a saying once, the squeakiest wheel is first mended. And I just wonder, are we not having these conversations maybe as openly as we should be? Karen also uh, has a similar story to tell. Thanks for for getting in touch with the programme today, Karen. Oh, you're very welcome. So tell us about where, where you're at, what your situation is. Um, so I had four children and on after the birth of my fifth child, um, I had just horrendous periods. They were horrendous. Again, like other women, I was housebound. And the doctor was just telling me, you know, they'll settle, they'll settle after you have your child. And it took me going to my GP in the middle of it, knowing that I was going to destroy myself and destroy the surgery but I, I had to show them exactly the extent of it and at that stage I got referred 
And after many, many consultations, they came to the decision and they came to the realisation that upon my last section, where they sterilised me, that adhesions had formed and the adhesions were causing little micro tears, which were making the bleeding an awful lot worse for me. And at that stage, then we, we spoke about, I had asked for a hysterectomy after my last child because my periods had been bad my whole life. Mm. And they had said no, even though they were, they were the ones that, you know, were saying we're going to sterilise you. And I said, sure, why not just give me a hysterectomy, given the fact that I'm in pain an awful lot anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, so basically then, um, then we went and I had to go down to the hospital to have um, just blood taken and so on. Before this operation, they were doing keyhole surgery just to see if they could cut the adhesions and see would that help because it was apparently it was when I was walking around that I was having these little micro tears and the only way for the blood to pass was, was actually through my room, which was causing the bad pains and the agony and everything else. And when they did it, one of the possibilities was one of these adhesions could bleed and I would need a hysterectomy. <laughs> and I would need a hysterectomy. Oh, for this God's stage. sake. But they would not let me say okay because they needed my husband's permission for me to have a hysterectomy oh in case God. he wanted I'm, more children. Fi- Ka- I, Karen, I feel in the course of this conversation, in yeah. listening to... You know, all of the women who've come on to the programme to tell their stories today and also the litany of other women who've been messaging in, whose messages I've been reading, there seem to be common themes. And one of them seems to be is like it feels like we're back in in the 1940s or 50s again, where the medical profession were all knowing, all seeing and almost like deities, but also that they seem to be very much speaking down to women, not listening to their own experiences and I mean, we've had, you have five children. Christine has four. Janie has four kids. These are women yeah. who've had their families and yet they're in chronic pain. They've debilitating conditions and they're just not being listened to. It was. It was. The, I remember the consultant that day and I remember he just turned around to me and there was like he said, you've wasted my time today because I didn't bring my husband with me. I was only supposed to be getting blood and, and internal done. I didn't need my husband there for that. And I wasted his time because my husband wasn't there to sign the paperwork for me in case they needed to give me his directory, even though I had asked for one. And have you complained? Have you have you Um, reported the medical? Like, it was just basically, you know, um, well, this is this is the decision you either decide to have this or manage your pain and manage your bad periods. I went back to my GP after that. I was very upset. Now, I mean, I was lucky enough and my GP actually listened to me. And I I ended up getting the marina coil put in, which in fairness has helped massively. And Mm -hmm. um, I have to do an awful lot of exercise because if I if I do a lot of exercise, it keeps it keeps the um, adhesions from moving too much and from tearing. Strangely enough, if if my core is tight, they don't cause as much pain. But if I go four or five weeks without exercising the pain starts in again it kicks in again and that was the you know that was the consultant that day I wasted his time because yeah, I didn't because have, you didn't have your husband there you know, to give permission yeah. for whatever or to, to, well, to be there like the handmaid's tale like, do you know what I mean yeah. I, I was just I was just the castle taking up the, the and Paula although, day, like. although the marina and the litany of exercise that you have to do is helping a little bit I presume you'd yeah. still rather have a, have a hysterectomy if you could I, I would have at the time. I mean, now in fairness, like I, I managed the last three or four years, but I mean, managing. There are yeah. some times when I'm looking forward to going out and then that's the day that 
Mm. I just can't get. And if for some reason it's my right leg, I can't get my right leg to straighten underneath me properly because that's obviously where the adhesions are. And when I'm putting the pressure to put that down on the ground, that's when my stomach will kick in, the pain will kick in, I'll double over. And But, you know, I mean, in fairness, I have, I'm a lot luckier than, than some of the women that you've had on the show. And I'm a lot luckier than some of my own friends that have taught me, you know, just how bad it is that they stay in bed for three and four days every single month. Yeah. You know, I'm lucky in that the marina worked for me and it stopped me having to stay at home for up to seven days at a time. But I mean, that's an, you know, it's an existence again, isn't it? It's not being able to live your, your life to the full. Uh, thanks to Karen, Christine, Janie and Rachel. What started as a conversation with Rachel, who was denied a hysterectomy because of her young age and because the gynecologist said she didn't have children and she may have changed her mind, now seems to have really unearthed a can of worms and opened the floodgates we're hearing. Uh, about, you know, issues concerning women's health care across the board, widespread denial of hysterectomy to women whose lives are literally blighted and ruined uh, by pain caused by their monthly cycle or by very heavy bleeding or whatever. Uh, Paula, you're very welcome to the Nile Boylan Show. You have similar experiences. Hi, I'm good. You've had similar yeah. experiences to some of the ladies yeah, I, we've heard I, I from. I can relate so much to all those people. Um, now, it's a good few years ago, but basically I can't tell you exactly in what pattern and what dates everything happened. But I started um, many years ago and it's bleeding. And I thought, you know, it was an early period and I don't have kids. It's, it was ongoing. And then eventually I was referred to a gynecologist and I was put on a couple of different medications and it still happened. I had DNCs, I had keyhole surgeries. Um, then I was I was in agony. Um, I was told like that one of those callers that I had adhesions. So I was basically like that housebound so much. And even when I was on all the medication, the bleeding was still happening. So any time I went back to the gynae, he just upped the dosage. So it, it, this was going on and going on. And I just got to the stage and I said, you know, you know, you, you kind of say I'm never going to get to the end of this. Yeah. So um, um, basically, it, it, it went on for years and years. Um, on top of that, at one stage, um, I had the marina coil fitted, but like that, I was worse and it had to be taken out. So did you ask or did you seek or raise the idea of a, of a hysterectomy, Paula? And did, did they give you one? No, um, no, they never actually said that um, until years later, it was said, basically, um, I was a lot younger, as I said, I didn't have have kids, um, but um, it, 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 that's really not the issue. Um, the, the thing is, um, I, I, like I was saying, as, as I said, I lost so many jobs as a result of this, but um, I didn't get any answers. Endometriosis was never mentioned to me until I had a procedure. Now, it's a friend of mine who's a nurse and she recommended an ablation. Um, I've heard for, of them. They sound horrendous. Yeah, but she actually said that for people with as bad problems as I have, that, you know, this recommended. So I went to another gynae um, connected to the Beacon Hospital and he he did test scans and all that. And he, that's what I had done. And I have to say, I've never looked back now. It could be eight, nine, ten years ago when I had it. But it it took some way to get you to the point, Paula, where actually you felt uh, you were listened to. Yeah, I mean, it was just like I got to the stage where I said I've, I've definitely something serious, like really serious wrong because I'm not getting answers. 
and the bleeding is still happening and mm. still on this huge amount of medication and like that you couldn't plan anything because yeah. You couldn't leave the house because you were, you were still bleeding. It's just a horrific situation. And Paula, do, you, do you feel that you were listened to properly or do you feel that you were dismissed largely over the years that you were seeking yeah, answers? Yeah, I would say dismissed. Yeah, I mean, this one first tiny, um, he, like as every time I went and I'm like, I'm still in agony and he just upped the medication and I was, yeah, he might have, they might have done bloods, but I didn't get any answers. This was going on for years. And I, you know, you just... I was going crazy. Yeah, you lose faith, I think, as well. I want to bring Maria in. Maria, thanks for getting in touch with the programme today. Uh, You're in your late 30s now, I believe, and you've had some of these problems, but you've actually had a hysterectomy. Yeah, at 38 now, I had the hysterectomy at 37 in May, um, down in Cork, and to be honest, it was the best thing i ever done. Okay, and and did you have similar problems to the ones that we've heard from the women who were in touch with the programme today? Heavy periods, painful yeah, periods? Yeah, I've had that since I was 14, but for the four, for four years before I did under hysterectomy, I had non-stop bleeding okay. for and, four years. And can I ask, do you have children, Maria? I have three children. Okay, and why do you feel then that you were actually given access to a hysterectomy when so many of the women that we're hearing about, both on the air and are messaging the programme today, are kind of dismissed that word that Paula agreed with dismissed out of hand no you're too young you might change your mind how come you were able do you think able to get the hysterectomy when you sought it they had a female gynecologist okay and she was absolutely fantastic um she'd done two proceed two operations before the hysterectomy to try and avoid doing it because of my age okay um I was sterilized at 29 to try and uh, stop the heavy periods, to basically not to have any more kids because my last pregnancy was twins and took a lot out of me. Yeah. And my gynecologist was fantastic through it all. She did two different procedures within the space of six months of each other and only made it 100 times worse. And she just said, no, she says, we don't have a choice. We have to go and take it out. Okay. And, you know, I presume if you're listening, you know, when you're listening to the other stories that we've heard today, you feel like one of the lucky ones. Yeah, very lucky to be very honest because like it's four four years of hell basically. Like I always had them very bad, but like the last four years before the hysterectomy was absolute fucking nightmare because I couldn't I couldn't go anywhere. I had to pack a bag of clothes with me. I had to sit on black bags in my car and everything like that. It was ridiculous, and it got to a stage where it was mentally draining the life out of me. And um, I remember just going into the gynecologist and crying into her face. I was like. I was like, you just have to do something. I can't do this anymore. And she just said, right, no, she said, we're taking it. We're doing it. And that's the end of it. And, and she said, enough is enough. Tell us about your life now post-hysterectomy. Best thing i ever done. And I mean that. I went in to have keyhole surgery for the hysterectomy, but um, had a few complications on the table. Um, I stopped breathing. They brought me back. That was grand. And um, when they went to do the keyhole, I had a massive bleed out. So they had to open from hip to hip. So basically it came back that for the four years that I was bleeding, the blood was actually storing inside uh, as well. And basically she said to me, she said she was literally putting her hand like a scoop and scooping cloth literally out of me. Wow. So, I mean, a really, really invasive surgery at the end. But still, despite that and despite the recuperation period, which I can imagine was pretty severe as well. To be honest, uh, I was back in work after a month. Right. I was was driving after two weeks. I was back in work after a month and 
flying around the flat. I had about a week, 10 days where I was just like, right, trying to take it easy and doing, doing my two walks a day to get myself going because it was hip to hip. I was opened and I was back working after four weeks. Amazing, absolutely amazing. You know, and we, we hear or certainly one of the reasons that seems to be trotted out in addition to the you're too young and you may change your mind is that it's such an invasive procedure. And Maria going in for the keyhole there and it ended up going horribly wrong and having to have, you know, opened up from hip to hip. And yet she says she was back operating again, back at work within four weeks. The mind boggles on this one. And I just feel as a topic here on the Nile Boylan show, we're probably not done with it just yet. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.